Welcome to Wonderment, the podcast from Wiltshire College and University Centre. Just a note that we're recording this session during lockdown three, so the interview is being conducted remotely. Our first guest is Paralympian Louise Hunt. At just 29 years old, Louise has amassed a staggering 122 singles and doubles titles, competed at two Paralympic Games, including the spectacular London Games in 2012, and at her highest, ranked 10th in the world at wheelchair tennis. She was also named in the top 100 of the disability power list in 2018 and has dabbled in commentating as well as being an experienced mentor and public speaker. Welcome, Louise. Hi. So we know about the amazing things you've achieved. Can you tell us a bit about where it all began? Yeah, so I suppose I need to take you right back until I was back to when I was five years old. Um, we actually, the way I found tennis um, was my parents moved house and they happened to know their neighbours who was next door and they had a tennis court in their garden um, and that's actually where I first picked up a racket and started playing just with my family um, and then actually my, our neighbours sold that bit of land with the tennis court in the same year that tennis courts were built directly opposite our house um, so I sometimes feel like I don't know if I believe in fate or meant to be but it was a bit of a coincidence it's like I was surrounded by tennis courts my whole life um, and the thing is, in terms of growing up, my family, obviously incredibly supportive, but my disability was never really a barrier or something that meant I couldn't do anything. So anything my family or I've got an older brother, so anything he did, I always tried. So if they all want to play tennis, I play tennis. Like if they want to play football, I mean, they used to put me in goal because my wheelchair covered half the goal. So I was a great goalie. Um, so anything <laughs> they ever tried, um, I did. And that's kind of how it all started. And then... Um, sort of a year or so after that my parents found out about um Stoke Mandeville so for those who don't know what what Stoke Mandeville is it's this amazing place where the Paralympics actually first started many many years ago but now it's a rehabilitation hospital attached to this awesome sports stadium and basically every year you could there's all these different camps and opportunities where people with disabilities can go and try like all these different sports it's so much fun and as a kid it was the best thing ever um and that's where I tried like every sport. Um, and we kind of found out that wheelchair tennis was a thing, if you want to put it that way. Because um, obviously at that point, I was just playing for fun with my family. And then I effectively got talent spotted there. And then I suppose you could say the rest is history. I, I eventually ended up on the performance programme, the national performance programme. And then I haven't really looked back. Um, alongside my tennis, I did some wheelchair racing um, for about 10 years as well um and I won seven London marathons mini marathons in that time but tennis was kind of the one that I just loved it I love I, and I still feel the same now I love the challenge I love that every day is different um yeah and it can't be too bad because I mean I'm 29 I'm still playing it so uh yeah it can't, can't be that bad I'm still still hanging in there <laughs> yeah when did you know that you were going to aim sort of for the Paralympics yeah so that's a really interesting question so when I was doing obviously all these different sports when I was younger and then I sort of chose tennis I was then fortunate enough to meet quite a few Paralympians sort of along the way and I kind of started to feel I was really young at the time but I was like oh I'd quite like to do that and then it was when I I was really fortunate that I was taken to the Beijing Paralympic Games in 2008 with um, what they call like the development team so what they do in each sport is take a few athletes from each sport who they feel have the potential to qualify for the next one and it was there that I suppose that you could say the sort of the switch was turned. And I remember being at the opening ceremony 
watching it and obviously I knew a lot of the athletes down there um coming into the opening ceremony and I hated every moment of it and I don't I don't mean that in an ungrateful way um because this is the best thing that ever happened to me but I remember sitting there being like I don't want to be sat in the crowd I want to be there um and that was my moment I suppose you could say where I was like I'm going to go to the next games that's my aim and I'm going to do everything I can to get there and um luckily luckily the story is good and I did make it to London 2012 (laughs) um and thank goodness because that is the best Paralympics we've seen so far and it was incredible and changed my life yeah it was a fantastic um well the whole games wasn't it but also the the opening ceremony as well don't think oh the opening ceremony just insane I'll never forget that feeling like I don't think ever again you can have well I'm never going to experience 100,000 people you know cheering for our team that's the most insane noise I've ever heard um incredible I'll never forget it oh fantastic so obviously you know quite a journey obviously from from when you first started um where would you sort of say your greatest source of support has come from yeah, so it's interesting when you talk about support, because obviously that comes on so many different levels. Um, so obviously, like financially, you need a, a lot of support, especially in disability sport, because um, we're quite underfunded and we don't obviously get as much funding as able-bodied athletes. So um, I've been incredibly fortunate at the start of my journey. My family helped me get everywhere all around the world and do everything. And then later in my sort of sporting career, I've got some incredible sponsors. Um but on a more personal kind of note, um, I am very, very fortunate. I have the best family in the world. Um, don't tell them, their heads will get too big. Um, but they have been they have been amazing throughout my whole journey. And my friends too. Um, very much behind me all the way, supporting me, you know, being my cheerleader. But I think the thing I'm most grateful for is they've kept me incredibly grounded. So, you know, it's like, yes, you might have just gone to Paralympics, but you're coming home and cleaning your room and cooking dinner tonight. Like, you know, there's not, it's, I, they never let me get, you know, I suppose too far above my station you could yeah. kind of say um and then like obviously a special like I suppose thanks in a way in terms of support my personal team my actual individual coach um has been with me since I was uh seven years old um oh, wow. I don't know how he's not sick of me yet <laughs> um he's amazing um incredible could not have done it without him I have a lot of people around me on my team who are amazing but in particular Ali my individual coach I mean it would be impossible without him and I also have the most amazing sports psychologist who's been with me for many years too, who without his support, honestly, I, he has transformed my game and my life actually in the way that I think about things. So yeah, I mean, endless support that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I think as an athlete, you very rarely see those people and they don't get enough praise because I'm just the front person. I always explain like, yes, I put in a lot of hard work. Of course I do, but it takes a lot of other people as well. And they all deserve it too. So I'm just so grateful for all the support I've had. So we know you do a lot of work with charities as well, speaking in schools and mentoring. What do you think are the key things that we need to remember when supporting young people? Yeah, so as I say, I do a lot with uh, young people. It's something I'm really passionate about in terms of helping them reach their potentials. I think like the key things to remember is when I work with them, especially the main thing, especially is everyone is individual and everyone's on their own journey and their own timeline. And I think it's really important that we don't generalize young people. Like everyone's different. So let's let them be different and let's praise being different too. You know, we want people to celebrate, you know, their uniqueness. Um, Something I am always really conscious of is that I always want to be really honest when I work with young people. And I think like older people, adults, however you want to label them could you know don't let's not let's not sugarcoat things but equally you know let's let's pick them up let's be honest let's praise when things are going well 
Um, but I think the thing that stands out most to me that we need to remember is the importance of young people's mental health. I think it gets overlooked a lot. Um, you know, always looking at like, are they doing well in their results? Like, are they coming home and behaving well at, at home and all these things? But actually, like, let's listen, let's get to know them and make sure that, you know, mentally that they're happy. And if they're not, what can we do? So I think listening is the biggest key. Give young people time. Absolutely. So, I mean, normally when you probably do a lot of your, your sort of, you know, working with young people, you probably go and see them, don't you? And at the moment, obviously with lockdown, that's not possible. Have you, have you still been able to sort of do things digitally? Do you know what? I, I, in terms of my school stuff, I haven't, and I can't tell you how much I miss it. Um, I cannot wait to get back in, back in schools. I managed to get one, one visit in um, since pandemic started in a, um, in a school locally that I'm actually trustee for actually. Um, and they support people specifically with disabilities. Um, and I just did a talk from a distance, <laughs> um, which again, it was great and it was lovely to see them, but it's just not the same. Um, okay. So I got one in, um, but yeah, I miss it loads. I cannot wait to get back into schools. I just hope it's not too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope we're with you on that one. So what do you think then the main challenges are of trying to inspire young people during um, like the, the pandemic? I, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's quite a lot of things. And I think it's not even just young people. I think if we're all honest, we've all struggled at some point. Um, I think a challenge is, I think it's really important that we remind everybody, but young people specifically, that this pandemic, the situation we're in now is temporary. Like this is going to end. And the amazing thing now is now we're seeing vaccines and stuff. We can see the end in sight. I know we don't know when it is. I know it could be a long way off. But I think it's the thing that needs to constantly be reminded is this, this will end. So don't stop now because, you know, keep going. Because when things do go back to normal, we we want you to kind of still be on that same track. So I think it's important that we keep talking, make sure the young people keep talking to us um, and really encourage like everyone at home to try new things, like try and be creative, find something new today just to keep yourself motivated, just to get through this home straight. Um, but it's tough for everyone, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. Like you say, it's sort of affecting everybody, isn't it? Yeah. It's had an effect on everyone. So here at the college, we offer sport qualifications as a as a way for young people to get into sport. But so often we hear about sports stars, um, you know, that have begun at a really young age. Um, and, and often this can be down to the opportunity or access they have. What do you think that we as a sort of a society, as, as colleges and, and, and the government can do to kind of level the playing field? I think um, this, this, <laughs> the list of things that can be done is actually quite extensive. Um, but I think if I was to sort of prioritise things, I think there's, there's obviously the physical access side of things. Um, so when we talk about physical access, making sure buildings are accessible. Um, but I'm not just talking, you know, lifts and ramps. I'm talking hearing loops, braille, you know, there's such a variation of people with disabilities. Um, so I think that's really important. But I think the biggest thing for people with disabilities or not, people aspiring to be athletes or not, is or, is having the right attitude and being adaptable. And I think this goes across the whole of society, whether it's a college, a school, government, whatever it may be. Um, attitudes need to be right. Like people need to be listened to. And it's really, really important that that everyone is treated as an individual and be adaptable. That's the key thing is like, actually, if someone needs to have time off for competition, great, can you do that? But you need to do this work. Does someone need to have a room in a different place because of a disability? 
like can we do that so I think and it's about educating people too like I think society as a whole has an obligation to help educate people on different people because we're all different at the end of the day disability or not um and I think one thing that'd be really good is that from day one of and again this applies to everybody they want have information available um so if for example if we're talking about someone with a disability or someone starting in sport like from day one of injury or accident or day one of trying out a sport can there be information available these are opportunities this is where you can go but I think it's all around attitudes honestly and um just being open and willing to learn yeah, fantastic yeah no, it's really interesting to, to sort of get your take on that so we know that you did a, a b-tech in sport at college um what skills and opportunities did that offer you uh do you know my b-tech was great um i actually really enjoyed it one thing actually that's just come to mind that i loved was as part of my final exam i got a load of um wheelchairs in and i ran a wheelchair specific session um and that was a i think we did basketball a while ago now honestly <laughs> i think it was um basketball we did but I borrowed a load of chairs and because all my classmates were able-bodied and um it brought the opportunity to like kind of educate them and teach them about disability sport which was really cool um but it was great for me because it fitted in really really well around because at that time I was I mean that was the year I went my first year of BTEC was the year I went to Beijing as I mentioned earlier um so I had to have quite a bit of time away from college and the best thing about the BTEC was and my my amazing teachers but they were really adaptable and accommodating um and they very much taught me like you know you can go off and compete and you can have that time to train but you've got to do your work and it taught me how to balance things but i i think it'd be text great i think it's a really good flexible different way of working and for me it was nice to have a, a whole you know i could rather than doing a few and again it's different for everyone there's no right or wrong but for me i had a very like focused area of interest so it's great that I could spend my whole college time focused on on sport, which was fantastic. And then obviously my results from that helped me get into uni. Um, so that obviously, again, was a great thing that came from that BTEC. Yeah, and I suppose with the BTEC as well, the the kind of vocational route that you've got, it's a lot of coursework, isn't it? So you're able to probably do that when you're abroad or, or travelling and going off to Ex- Yeah, exactly. Well. Exactly. And the great thing was, is my uni course was like run in a similar way to adapt for athletes. So it just taught me how to do that. But yeah, spot on. It was perfect because if I was away, it didn't really matter. I could take work with me, which wasn't that fun when all my friends on the tennis tour were having a great time. But I got it done. <laughs> yeah, well, no, well done. <laughs> yeah. So obviously now, um, you know, where we are at the moment, the lockdowns and things, sports, fitness and movement is a, is a really big way that people have been coping um, with the restrictions and getting through lockdown. What do you personally find the most valuable thing about sport? Um, so I think there's kind of two things that spring to mind with this question. Um, so emotionally, I find it an absolutely, it's the best escape ever. So if I'm playing tennis or going for a hand bike cycle or whatever it may be, um, I'm not thinking about anything else. Um, and I like being able to challenge my energy, my mental energy into something. Um, but physically, I mean, I, I'm, I use a wheelchair all the time. Um, so it's super important to keep myself fit and healthy. So the benefits in terms of that are just are just the the best, really. I mean, I, I don't if I if I'm say poorly and have to have a few days off training, I don't feel anywhere near as good as I do mm. when I'm doing anything fitness related. Um, but I think again, for me, what I love about what I do is I just love not only I like to prove myself wrong. I'm always trying things, whether that be in the gym or not, that 
surprise me and think, oh, I didn't think I could do that. But I love doing that to society. I mentioned earlier about educating people and showing people, you know, that everyone can do anything if they put their mind to it. And I like that about sport. I like that when I, you know, if I go and play in a competition or I win something, it's like, well, look, yes, I might be disabled, but I can still physically be very active and achieve something despite, you know, my challenges in terms of my disability. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, has your training had to adapt at all during lockdown and restrictions? I mean, have you, are you able to get to a court or are you doing different sort of training than you would normally? Yeah, so this lockdown has been so much easier because um, the government sort of recognised elite sport as um, being able to go ahead. Yep. So this lockdown has been, obviously we can't get into a gym, but then I, because of lockdown number one, um, <laughs> we got a load of gym stuff at home, myself, and my partner, we just got loads of gym stuff so actually and actually I quite enjoy doing it at home um so this lockdown's not been as bad the first lockdown sort of in the summer oh my gosh like you had to get really creative we turned our driveway into a gym um which our neighbors thought were hilarious um we did all sorts of creative things I did endless shadow swings so that's like if you just imagine me swinging my racket without a tennis ball I tell you now it's quite disheartening without a ball it's a bit depressing if I'm honest but I was like I need to keep those strokes, you know, and I didn't have a tennis court, so that's all I could do. So, yeah, I had to be, like, super creative at the start. But luckily, this lockdown, um, it's been a little bit easier. Um, but I do miss the driveway gym, but then I don't think it would be quite as enjoyable in this freezing cold weather. So, so maybe that's the, the worst thing. Yeah, maybe yeah not it's quite not quite the same, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what would you say then to someone who's who you know someone else that's been restricted um to what they can do during the lockdown and maybe feels a bit demotivated so my advice on this would be because i have felt this so i really understand if anyone's feeling this way um but the most important thing is a bit like what i've just said be creative like find a way like i'll be honest it was a bit like demoralizing swinging my racket a hundred times literally a hundred times a day i swung my racket with that ball but I found a way to make sure I was practicing my tennis strokes. So be creative. Like I did with my um with my partner, I, I used him to do presses because I needed the extra weight. So I would be against the wall and he would lean into me and I had to use his body as a weight. So just find ways. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, and something that's really helped me is try something new. So although you've got your sport and yes, you need to do your training, like your sport specific training. Absolutely. Don't stop that. But try something new. So I have started in the last couple of weeks, I've tried wheelchair zumba and oh. some adapted yoga. And do you know what? I've absolutely loved it. And it's really given me a boost and just something different, you know? Like it's like it's still helping my fitness, it's helping my body, but it's given me a bit of a break from the monotonous, you know, usual training that I'm used to. So yeah. try something new. If you're fine, feeling demotivated, do something different. It's still good for your body. Yeah, something that you maybe wouldn't have done before, perhaps. You might yeah. never would have potentially had the time or just wouldn't have ever considered it. So, And that's the thing as well. Like, we do have time, and that's what I felt. Like, it's been nice to have a bit of time to try to try something and be like, oh, that surprised me. I've really enjoyed that. And at the end of the day, if you try and don't like it, it's no big deal. Just find something else. That's okay. Yeah, you don't have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say your three top tips would be for following a sporting ambition post-lockdown? Gosh, I mean, there could be an endless list of tips in there. <laughs> um, I would say um, something that works really well for me, and I think it's quite important, especially at the moment, is working towards short-term goals. So absolutely have your 
big goal in sight, your end goal, but think about those those smaller steps. Um, I think the second one will probably be around, just make sure you're finding ways to still enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and it kind of leads on to my third tip. It's like, remember why you started what you're doing. So whether that be a sport or not, whether that be something else, whether that be work, why are you doing this? What was the thing that made you love this, want this to be a big part of your life and keep that in sight? And if you feel like you're moving away from that, bring yourself back. And I think that's the most probably important thing because um, it's going to be, you know, interesting post lockdown, you know, so we don't know how it's going to be a gradual in terms of think about sports specifically, how gradual it's going to be or not. So I think, yeah, keep those things to so think about the short term goals, make sure you're enjoying yourself, but keep the reasons you're doing it in sight because that will help you stay motivated. Yeah, I like that, actually. You do, sometimes we're so caught up in now, aren't we, that we're not thinking and you think, just take a couple of minutes to sit back and think and remember. Absolutely. So, yeah, I like that one. So you, you sort of mentioned a couple of times, but for those that don't know, you're engaged to the rather marvellous Paralympian Chris Skelly. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> What's it like living with another professional athlete then? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, it's a nightmare. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I love that you called him marvellous. Um, <laughs> don't, don't let your head get too big. No, um, well, not without being mushy, I, I do feel like I'm engaged to the most uh, wonderful person in the world. I couldn't be happier. Um, so in terms of live with Chris, so I, for the, it's we've got a lovely relationship aside from sport. And actually, you might be surprised to hear that we hardly ever talk about sport because um, it's just very much our jobs. And when we're together, we almost like to have that break from it. Um, but the most amazing thing is that we both have that understanding. So we get it. We get it if I don't talk to you for five hours one day because you're training and I know what you're doing. I get it if I can't see you for a few weeks because you're competing. Like, So that understanding is amazing. And when Tokyo got announced that it was moving to a year later, yeah. having that person there that just got it is just priceless. But um, in terms of being competitive, <laughs> Chris might disagree with you. I think he's more competitive than me when it comes to, oh, no, I'm lying. We both are. I gotta be honest. Um, so it's interesting. So we're not in terms of like day to day stuff. Like we are a real team. Like yeah. we always say that we kind of pride ourselves on being really as a team. But I tell you what, if you get a board game out, or we played a game on what was it? Called? Oh, shuffleboard. We played that when we were on holiday. I mean, we're we're yeah, we're fighting to stay out there because whoever's losing is like, oh, one more game. Winner takes all. Winner takes all. So yes, when it comes to games and things, games. yeah. <laughs> We are competitive. When it comes, it's interesting because obviously in the first lockdown, and now we still do some training together, but the first lockdown, we train together every day. And there's no competition there, which is really interesting. We just like really help each other and really that's love just training you together. Yeah, you said he was yeah. helping you as well. So that's nice that you're able to. Yeah, train. and like did things like pushing my car up and down the cold and stuff and things like that, like just being really creative oh, and wow. doing. Because he, yeah, so he's a judo fighter. So obviously his training is quite different to mine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that stuff, we're, yeah, we, we are very much team oriented. But yeah, I, I have to be honest, as much as I would love to make out that it's all him, we are really competitive when it comes to anything like game related. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fab. I wonder what the next game is going to be. Oh, I dread to think. <laughs> so obviously you're very well known for being a tennis champion. But what is something else that maybe many people might not know about you that you could share with us? Um, so... I suppose some people might not know that. So my sort of biggest passion, obviously, aside from my sport, um, is is mainly music. So I I am like obsessed with music. 
I love going to see musicals, so I'm a bit of a like West End fan. Um, I play the piano. There's always music in our house. I love music. I can't live without it. It's my one thing that it's like my form of escapism. Um, but I also I'm quite like creative, so I love art. I love making things. Um, I love like <laughs> it drives Chris mad. I redecorate our house every five minutes, and <laughs> I'm always getting new things and creating new pictures and things like that. So I suppose yeah, I'm. I have quite a creative side to me, but I very much just enjoy that as my thing. And that's kind of the thing that helps me sort of de-stress, but especially the piano, like I had a tough day. There was nothing that relaxes me more than just playing my piano. Um, and I've been playing since I was five years old. So um, kind of always been in my life really. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose that's something someone might not know. So final question then. So what, what's your next sort of goals and ch- challenges for, well, for, for this year and beyond really, and, and doesn't just have to be in terms of tennis, but, but anything. Gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Tokyo is the, the, the tennis specific goal in sight. Um, but in terms of outside of my tennis, I, I want to continue the, the career path that I've sort of already started to create, you know, with helping, especially young people, but, um, anyone really and specifically people with disabilities just to help you know change and challenge those those perceptions that we have in the world and I just want to help people reach their potentials and let them realize that whatever challenges and barriers they may face like they have a potential to fulfill and they can smash it and go out and have an amazing life so I'd like to kind of continue that work um obviously I've got my wedding that I'm planning for next year which I can't wait um so that's obviously something yes we have September next year um got our venue and everything um so that obviously is something I'm like super excited about and focused on but I think for me like my main goal for the next actually just from now and beyond is I just really the pandemic has been really good for me like I've had to slow down and I've learned a lot more about myself um and I've really learned things that make me happy and feel content that I didn't really realize before so I guess like for me my biggest goal at the moment is I just want to prioritize my mental health um I just find you know some joy in each day even if you're having a rubbish day um so I guess for me they're kind of my main my main focuses at the moment but I've learned so much in this year which I think a lot of us have Mm. so as much as it's been very very tough at times I'm in a weird way I'm sort of grateful for the for what's happened because it has taught me loads um and yeah slowing down has been because I'm used to being on a plane all the time (laughs) so I've loved being at home. I'm not going to deny that. I've loved it. And the quality time I've had, you know, with Chris and things, I will forever be grateful for because I can't see a time in our life where we'll where we'll probably get that again. Because <laughs> um, we're working for the rest of our life. So, Indeed. but yeah, maybe my main, they're kind of things I'm looking forward to. So, but especially the wedding. I can't wait. <laughs> yes, that sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for that. I mean, we, it's been really lovely to talk to you and that was an amazing chat. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening as well. So stay tuned for the next podcast from Wonderment from Wiltshire College and University Centre by subscribing to our channel. It's free to download and to listen to. We hope you've been entertained and inspired by our talk.